suffer pain and it looked like the wicked would go free and in my frustration it didn't seem right to me I asked you for sunshine but you sent a rain I cried for healing but I only got pain but I know Which way 
Bogdan, come on up this morning. Don't ask me to explain to you how one could start again. Or hardened hearts could soften like a child. Listen to these words. They speak to our heart. Don't ask me how to reason out all the mysteries of life. Or how to face these problems with a smile. Oh, go ask the man who's found a way to take a rose back home to stay when all communications was destroyed. Go ask the child who's walking now, who once was crippled, then somehow their useless legs were made to jump Savior came, oh, 
Nothing else was ever, was ever the same.
Who are we that you would be mindful of us? What do you see that's worth looking our way? We are free in ways that we never should be. of these chains but like hinges straining from the weight my heart no longer can keep from singing all that is oh for you alone be glorified
we lay it at your feet. It's such a tiny offering compared to Calvary, but nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. One more time, Lord. It's such a tiny offering compared to Calvary. Oh, but, but nevertheless, we lay it at your feet. All that is within me cries yes, for you alone. Be glorified,
You gave 
the truth that when I can't, you always can. I'm standing here beneath the shadow of the cross. I'm overwhelmed that I keep finding open arms.
though the sails are torn, and I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging.
This is the day the Lord's made. I uh, heard Connie say it this morning. We, we had an election. A lot of the things we didn't think turned out the way we wanted them to. But I want you to understand today the day you're living in. I want you to hear the Bible, and I want you to hear what God's Word says. Not going to cover up, not going to hide things. God's Word is going to come to pass. How many knows that's true? This Word's coming to pass. Whether we think we want our life to be all rosy and everything's going to be lovely and everybody's going to have a, a great day and a great uh, life and everything's going to, all your children's going to be saved and all of the things. You know what? You got to be honest with yourself and don't listen to what the world's saying and look at what God is saying. Because as long as we keep looking at what the world's saying, that's the opinion we're going to have, that everything's rosy and everybody's okay. But if we don't see the worst of our case, if we don't see where we're at in life, we won't work at it. We won't get better. God can't use us. God can't work on us. And it's hard to admit to yourself that you need help. It's hard to admit that you're, to yourself that I've been looking at things the wrong way. I'm not picking at nobody. I'm not looking at anybody or thinking that I know anything about any of you. I don't know your business just like you don't know mine. But I know this. The business of this word is true. And I have to tell you what it says. That is the only way I can stay in front of you and preach this word. If I'm not representing what God's word is, then I need to get out of it because it's not going to be right. It's not going to be uh, convicting. It's not going to speak to the hearts. It's not going to help nobody. Praise God. In the uh, book of Ezra, you that's got your Old Testament, it's before Psalms and, and Job, but it's after First and Second Chronicles. There's three little books there, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. I have touched in this book many time, a few times, but not, not many times. And uh, I want to talk to you about it because it's important. I think God showed me something about it. I want you to turn to the seventh chapter of Ezra. And one thing I want to say right off the bat is, Ezra is a scribe. He's a priest and a scribe. Now, most of the time when we hear of scribes, we hear them in the New Testament. Jesus is always correcting the scribes. Because they, uh, what is a scribe? A scribe is somebody that keeps track of records. They keep, they're a writer. They do writing. They do uh, keep track of all the books. So they would bring all the scrolls of books together. And he would not only keep them together and, and keep them uh, analyzed, looked at. He would study them. He would study them and keep them in the order that they're supposed to be in, the best that he knew how. But Ezra was not just a scribe, and you don't hear of too many scribes talked about in the Old Testament, but Ezra is. Number one, Ezra is considered the one that wrote the book of Ezra, uh, and also he wrote, they believe, part of Nehemiah. For a long time, Ezra and Nehemiah were together. 
Also, First and Second Chronicles has been given sometimes to Ezra being the writer. It's a historical book. It tells about Israel's history. And they give it to Ezra. A lot of um, Bible scholars give it to uh, him because of the way it's written and some of those same words that Ezra uses in his books. And uh, so I just wanted you to know that. It's not part of the message, but I want you to hear Ezra's not just somebody. He's somebody God called. He's somebody God put in place. And like I said a couple weeks ago, there was only one man that God said, I have a, seeking a man after my own heart. But I want you to understand Ezra had a heart for God. He really sought what God wanted. And when you look at the time that we're looking at today, I want you to hear this. Israel was taken into bondage. How many knows, we've heard that all of our life, Israel was taken into bondage. Why? Because they got into sin. How many knows, they got into sin and God kept warning them. God sent prophet after prophet. He sent Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He sent all these prophets to warn them, if you don't repent and get out of that and get back to being God's people, you're heading for bondage. Well, how many knows they went into bondage? Jeremiah wrote it was a 70-year bondage, and they went through that with the king of Babylon. Now, I want you to hear that, but after 70 years, God rose up the next king, which would be a king of Persia, and Persia overtook Babylon. And when they took over, they didn't just take over one little section. They took over a whole lot of area. And if you read about halfway through Ezra, somewhere in there is the story of Esther. It actually fits about the fifth, after the fifth chapter of what Ezra's writing, as far as time-wise. But it, what it is, it's not overriding. It's Ezra is in one area. He's in Babylon, and he wants, he's getting ready to go, and this, we'll see that today, he's getting ready to go back to Jerusalem because the king is letting him go. But at the same time, at, at that, Esther is in a whole other district down below in the, from Ethiopia, it says, if you read the book of Esther starting with, it says from the, the king that, at that place, uh, Hazarus, he was a king over the bottom district. And that bottom district was from all the way from Ethiopia to India, which if you look on the maps, a long ways. But what they did is they had those that were in charge of certain areas. And that's why I want you to know Esther actually fits uh, about a fifth chapter of, of, of Ezra. Okay, now you got your history part of it. That's all I want you to know. You don't have to remember it. I'm just telling you. that Sometimes when you look into this, sometimes it gets confusing. Sometimes when you look at this and you're seeing this is on this side of Job, uh, the book of Job, and this side of Psalms and Proverbs, and yet it actually, in time-wise, is all the way up into the min uh, and where the minor prophets are. But being the Ezra, being the writer, I think it's connected with the Chronicles because where the Chronicles ended is where Ezra's time started when he started writing this uh, part of it, telling his history. I want you to turn to the 7th chapter, and I want you to look at verse 9. Something's happened here. Number one, at the beginning of Ezra, 
Ezra tells the story of, of King Cyrus rising up, and King Cyrus allows, because God put it in his heart, he sends Zerubbabel with a whole bunch of the people because the 70 years is up, and they're letting them go back to Jerusalem to restore the temple, rebuild the temple. DJ talked about restoration. That's a lot of what this message is about. But this is a time of restoring. God is opening a door to them. He's opening a door, not because they deserve it. Listen to me. None of us deserve God to open up the day of grace to us. But I want you to see what God is doing here for Israel. God has always dealt with them, and he's always after them. But it says in verse 9, For upon the first day of the first month began he, talking about Ezra, to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. That means it took him four months exactly per day on the first, of the first month, the first of the fifth month. And it took him four months to get to Jerusalem. For Ezra, verse 10, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statues and judgments. Now this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes, however you say it, gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, and even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statues to Israel. I'm telling you that because I want you to understand he had to go get a letter. Persia's in charge. Ezra, to go back to Jerusalem, he not only prepared his heart, he's not only getting the books together to go back to Israel because at this time now, the temple is built and they've already dedicated, but there's something missing. You can build a nice building, but you have to bring the word of God to the place. And Ezra, with his, with his heart in it, knows exactly that the people of Israel have got away from the word of God, so I'm bringing them back, as you're bringing them back to Jerusalem and you're beginning to work in the temple again, I'm going to bring to you, the people, the word of God, and I'm going to teach it to you. I'm going to teach you the statutes, the judgments, the commandments of God. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be a part of doing that. That's what Ezra's trying to do. That's what was in his heart. And if you read the rest of that chapter, of that, chapter 7, you're reading the, the, the king that gave him this letter of authority to go. He gave him a letter of authority to whoever he comes to. When he gets there, they got to understand that's come from the king. He's got the authority, Ezra does, to do his work. All the way to the ninth chapter, I want you to turn. Turn to the ninth chapter. Look at verse 1. Now when these things were done, the princes came to me, he's talking about Ezra, saying the people of Ezra and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land, doing according to their abominations even of the Canaanites. These were the people of the land of Israel when they moved in. It says of the Canaanites, Hittites, Parasites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. 
For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Now listen, and verse 3, And when I heard this thing, when Ezra heard it, he said, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off my hair, off my head and of my head and of my beard, and I sat down astonished. Why was he astonished? He's astonished because the very thing that took them into bondage was because they had false gods in their land worshiping false gods. Now this group that came was uh, Zerubbabel, a few years, 60, 70 years ahead of him that came to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple and they're living there waiting. When Ezra comes, what does he find? He finds them going right back to marrying those, those of those heathen tribes. Now, you know, to you and me, we live in a different day and time. I realize not talking about anybody's better than somebody else. Jesus Christ changed things. But I do know this, they went against the word of God. And the word of God says, don't mix with false people because when you mix with them, and every parent here, you don't want your child to go out. I'm sorry, I'm going to say some things you may not like. But the truth is, you don't want your child to go out and marry a Muslim. You don't want them to go out and marry somebody of a different religion because I don't care what you think. That's going to draw them toward that way. They're going to have to deal with that the rest of their life. Now, you parents know what I'm talking about. Because you know what? The truth, you can marry somebody that's a ranked sinner that at least knows they need to get saved, and they got a better chance than they do when you've embedded something in somebody all their life that's a false doctrine. Because all their life, that's what's going to be pushed. That's why Ahab... Had a, he had a false wife with Jezebel, and he could not handle her. She ruled him. Man, you know what? I'm not telling nobody's business. That's your own business. You know what? I know this. There ain't none of us perfect. We've all made mistakes. We've all uh, tried to pray and do what we thought was right. But sometimes when we want to do something we're not wanting to ask God about because we want it too much. We just turn around and do it and then say, well, I'll repent over it later. Well, sometimes your repentance is going to cost you something. I mean, here's what I'm saying. It's going to cost you something. Sometimes when you completely rebel against God, and don't tell me you've never rebelled. If, if you rebel against God, sometimes there's a price to pay. Some of us have got skimmed by. Sometimes, and I said it a few weeks ago, by the grace of God, there goes me. Because so many times I was just on the edge of making some great errors. And I ain't talking about the ones I made. I'm talking about the ones I almost made. We've all got problems. Praise God for his grace. Look at verse 5. And at the evening sacrifice, here's Ezra praying. I want you to hear this. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness 
having rent my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees. I spread out my hands unto the Lord my God. How many knows, Ezra knows, God's not going to let this happen. God's not going to restore you if you don't walk away from your sin. If you don't get your sin out of your home and you keep playing the game with, this, with that and yet you want to come to church and say, God, forgive me of my sin, and then you go right back into the middle of your sin, guess what? God's not going to restore you. You're cutting God off of working with you. He that hides sin in their heart, God will not hear them. I'm just telling you what God's word says. And it says, verse 6, and he said, oh my God, this is Ezra again, oh my God, I'm ashamed and, it, and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For the, our iniquities, he included himself, our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespasses has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers have we been in a great trespass unto this day. And for our iniquities have we, our kings and priests, been delivered into the hand of the kings of the land. To the sword, to the captive, to captivity, to a spoil, to a confusion of face as it is this day. And now, listen to this. I love this. And now, for a little space... Oh, God, I've said this, and I, you know, I've said this many times. Oh, God, give us a little space and give us grace. Oh, God, give us a little space for repentance. Give us, Lord, we don't deserve it, but give us space. This is Ezra. Praise God for Ezra. I'm going to tell you something. Praise God for Ezra. Israel will look up to Ezra all the years in heaven because Ezra stood in the gap for him. He prayed for him. And he said, and now a little space, grace has been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail. There it is, DJ, a nail. A nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. They was already in bondage. They was already in trouble for their sin. Now they're going back into it again They've married outside of what got them in trouble the first time. They went right back to it. You know what? It's just my life. I just got a short time. I'll just marry whoever I want to and it will just work it out. You know what? Listen to what I'm telling you. We, as God's children, need to pray about everything we do. It ain't just your mommy and daddy can pray for you and pick for you a husband and wife. You need to not only pick them, but then you need to, listen to me, don't just commit yourself to a name, surely. Commit yourself to the marriage word and commit yourself to God in it. Because see, under God, I'm accountable. Whether she, me and her gets along or not, I'm still under accountable. I mean, here's what I'm saying. Our world teaches us a different way. You don't like it, bail out. Try something else. All kinds of fish in the sea. I'm not trying to dig at nobody. I want to tell you something. This ain't about marriage. This message ain't about marriage. And, I'm, and if I'm rubbing you the wrong way, 
Some things I can say it because I know God's word says it. Some things I mind my own business because I ain't been in your shoes. I'm in my own shoes. And I got my own problems. So I'm not going to dig at your problems. But he says, give us a nail in his holy place. And DJ preached a message about nailing it down. You need to nail down some things. Number one, you need to nail down, I need to pray and seek God. I need to nail it down, I need to read my Bible. I need to know what God says about every situation. If I'm going to raise kids, I need to look at what God's word says. If I'm going to get married, I need to look and see what God's word says. Look down at verse 10 of chapter 9. It says, And now, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken the, thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by the servants, the prophets, thy servants, the prophets, saying, The, Lord, the land unto which you, you to, uh, go to possess it, it is an unclean land with the filthiness of the people of the lands, with their abominations which have filled it from one end to the other with their uncleanness. Now therefore give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace or their wealth forever, that you may be strong and eat the good land, eat of the good land, Eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Quit trying to mix with the world to get your prosperity or to get your blessing. You're not going to impress God by mixing with the world or compromising what God has told you not to do. So don't pat your kid on the head and say, well, it'll all work out all right anyway. If not, just come home to mommy and daddy. Let me tell you something, you need to fight, you need to put a fight in your children and they need to get a hold of God's word and they need to look in what God's word or otherwise you'll be like the woman at the well, you'll be five times married, I don't know why I'm back on marriage, five times back married and wondering what happened to you and blaming everybody but yourself. All right, I'll leave it alone. And he says, verse 13, and after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds, for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this. Verse 15, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. For we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before thee in our trespasses. For we cannot stand before thee because of this. How many knows Ezra said the right thing? Guess what, people? We can't stand before God in our sin. How many hears what I'm saying? Ezra's telling the people, I'm going to tell you something. We're not ready to stand before God. Are we ready to stand before God? Listen to the day that we're living in. Because I'm going to tell you something, this points to it. And you'll hear this before it's over. Turn to, verse t turn to, turn to chapter 10. 
It says, and when Ezra had prayed and when he confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children for the people wept very sore. How many knows he started a revival? Ezra began to weep before God. He began to go to God and weep for the people. And all of a sudden, the people realized we're falling back in. We're going back the wrong way. Let's go back to God. So a great congregation begins to come and fall down and wept sore. And they begin to weep and, weep and cry. Now listen to this man. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehel, one of the, sevens, one of the sons of Elam, Answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and such as are born of them. That means the children too. Let me tell you something. You ain't going to find nowhere else hardly in the Bible that God's word came to a man and said, okay, go and tell them to divorce them all. Cast out the wives and cast out the children with them. Boy, no, I know you're staring at me because I can feel it. And let me tell you something. I looked in the mirror at myself because I probably had the same look on my face when I was reading it. But can I tell you something? God's serious about sin. God's serious about what you're doing. I'm not telling nobody to line up at the divorce court. Don't get this wrong, okay? I'm not pushing you that way. I'm trying to tell you, you're going to pay a price to live for God. So be careful who you pick to marry. Be careful who you pick where you're going. Because I'm going to tell you something. It's a long way back on a price to pay for it. And it's only by the grace of God that you'll have that opportunity. But he said, let us make a covenant with our God and put away the wives and such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter belongs to thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Uh-oh. I like that, and do it. You know what? Ezra's putting a stamp of approval on what he said. That word that he got, that Shechaniah guy, that came from God. And and Ezra put his stamp of approval, that's right. You're right, we're going to have to cast out that what God told us don't start with to begin with. How many knows what I'm saying? God's trying to tell you there's a separation supposed to be made in this world. Sometimes the people decide, even the church, let's just compromise, let's just be nice. Everybody's going to heaven. They're trying their best to take our Bible and hook it to an Islamic Bible, and they're trying their best to make you believe that it's called a Chris-Islamic Chris Bible, and you can just be a Christian or you can be Allah. You can worship Allah or you can worship God. 
And I'm thinking, you know what? They ain't the same. Somebody better get their head straight. Because I tell you right now, you're falling for the enemy's trap. You're going to raise your children in that. And before you know it, your children won't know where Christ is. And he ain't in, he ain't in Allah. He's the only begotten son of the Father. He's the only Savior that came. He's the only one that died on the cross. He's the only one that's coming back for his children. And he's coming back for a bride that's ready for him. Not a bride with all kinds of wraps on them. Oh, yeah, I'm part Muslim. I'm part this. I'm part that. I see these people coming across the border carrying their own flag from their own country. And I'm telling them, you know what? Go back to your country and serve God with all you got. But don't come in here to change our country. Amen. We know we need to live for God or our country's lost. And we don't need another part of a diversity added to it. Amen. Excuse me, that's my opinion. That's the way I see it. Don't give me more divisive things. We need to be concisive, not divisive. We need to make up our mind what we're going to do. That's all I'm going to do of Ezra. And it's in Deuteronomy 7 where Moses told the people that was going into the promised land that when they got to that land, understand, you're not getting that land because you're better than anybody. But I decided these people that's living on the land of Canaan, those people that I uh, gave you all those names of were living in the land of Canaan and they were so wicked from one end to the other, they were wicked. Guess what America's doing? They're putting God out from one end to the other. You can go up into the uh, northern uh, uh, states right up to the ocean and you can go to the ocean out that way and you got some of the wildest looking people you ever saw in your life. And I ain't picking them because they're here too. And you know what? Everybody wants you to be nice to them. Well, you know what? You can be nice. You can pray for them. But I can tell you right now, I don't want my children marrying them. I don't want my blessing to be on that because it ain't going to work. God's saying, come out and be you separate. If you don't desire to serve God, then you know what? You'll just keep adding to it. Well, I'm supposed to be nice to everybody, so let's just be nice. We have to understand God is calling us to separate ourselves. He called Israel for that. He worked all them years with them to get them to that place. Now I want to go to 2 Thessalonians. And I want you to hear this because this is what God was putting on my heart. Over Ezra. But it says in 2 Thessalonians, I want to start at the second chapter. That's all the way right before you get to Timothy. After your, uh, your four epistles, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and, and Colossians, then it comes Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, you, if you read it, the fourth chapter, it talks about the rapture coming. Carl, that's where that scripture tells. The dead in Christ shall rise. We shall, you know why Paul wrote to them about those things? Because they were suffering for the gospel. Listen to me. They were under persecution like nobody understands here because we've never lived in that persecuted time. But they were being persecuted. They were suffering day by day. 
They were being killed for the gospel. Listen to what I'm telling you. And why did Paul write to them? Because they were getting discouraged. It's hard to handle all of that pain and that suffering and that work. They're trying to hold on, be faithful and true, and they are. So Paul's writing, and they got questions. When he wrote to them that the rapture's going to come, right? The dead in Christ is going to rise, the rapture's coming. They thought, hey, is he coming right away? Because we're suffering a lot. And Paul, in the second, second Thessalonians, when he writes them, he's trying to correct what he said to them in a way of saying, it's not right now. How many here's what I'm saying? He's trying to help them to understand, and he's helping us to understand. But he said in 2 Thessalonians, in the second chapter, he says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, uh, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Why did I read that? I want you to understand. I'm reading it because it's explaining what he's getting ready to tell him. He's explaining. How many knows when you look in our world, how many shaken in mind? How many feels troubled? How many feels the, the, the grief of what's happening in our country? How many knows that we're, we want to change it back? Oh, God, give us grace and space to return to you. But, Lord, how do we return to you without your help? Lord, we can't change what they're doing in our nation. We can't change our leaders. They lost their mind. And it was the leaders of Israel that led them right back into marrying the wrong people. God is trying his best to get his church ready for the, the second coming of Christ. Amen. Because, see, we're not in the days of Ezra. We're not in those days. We're in the last days. If we wasn't in the last days, this message wouldn't make sense to you. But the days we're living in points exactly what God is telling us to do. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That's one. The man of sin be revealed. That's two. The son of perdition. That's talking about the Antichrist. And it says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. All the way down verse 7, I want you to read. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who now lets will let until he be taken out of the way. I tell you right now, I think that's the church. See, the only thing restraining the evil from taking over completely is God in us. I mean, it, I know it ain't me. I know it ain't you. But together with God, as long as we're in this world, as long as the church is in this world, our Lord is watching over his own. And he's going to keep us until that day. But when he takes us out of here, the restraints are pulled away. There's nobody to stop what they're going to do. And how many knows when I'm reading this, I want you to understand, it's going to happen. I don't care who you vote in. God's word's coming to place. 
And we can see it all over the place. Don't, Connie said it, don't get too discouraged. Don't look around, look up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. The day and the space of repentance. Don't worry about your children. Don't worry about what age you are or what age they are. When you get to heaven, they ain't going to ever wish you back here. When I got out of school, I never wished I was back. Praise <laughs> God I got out of there. I graduated and I was happy as a lark. And I'm 68 years old and I ain't never wished I went back here a day. I don't miss a dollar of it. They can spend all the money in the world on teaching kids. You know what? I praise God for education. We need it. And I even still need some of it. But I'm going to have to learn it the hard way. Just getting a book and reading it. Because I can tell you right now, I don't want to be educated in what they're doing. I don't even want my kids to be, graduate, be educated in what they're doing. I don't want my grandkids educated in what they're doing. Because they're setting you up to control you. They're setting you up for their big fall. If you don't turn your eyes from what they're doing and start looking up, you're going to lose out. And you'll be accepting everything they say. Oh, yeah, i got to be nice to the whole world. I'm supposed to invite everybody to my house to live. I don't see none of those people that's passing those laws that way, inviting them to their house to live. I don't see it. And they don't want to take their guns away from their wall, protecting them. All right, I'll let it alone. But he says, he, until he be taken out of the way, and then shall the wicked be revealed. Then shall the son of perdition, he'll come, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. How many knows that's right around the corner? You know what? You can think what you want. You can think this church will sit here all them years. You can think we'll be out here just preaching and singing and praising God. But I'm going to tell you something. We ain't looking for this place. We're looking to go up. We're looking for our Savior to return because it's getting to the place. It ain't that we can't live with them. They can't live with us. And when God sees it's enough and nobody else is wanting to repent, God's going to say, go get my children and bring them home. I believe that's coming. I believe it. I believe it's right on his lips to say it. But God is so gracious and so merciful. The prayers of the saints that are going up, those that are praying for their lost loved one, those that are waiting for them to get their eyes open to the truth and find their way to Jesus. The church is standing restraining. Lord, please, I love you, and I want you to come quickly. But at the same time, Lord, don't, don't come right now. My children aren't ready. My grandchildren aren't ready. I got cousins, I'm worried that they ain't going to make it. You know what? I ain't nobody. God help me, I'm no better than any of them. But it's been the grace of God that we sit here in our right mind and ready. Ezra knew it wasn't him. It was God's words. And that's why when he knew God's word was broken, God's law was broken, he fell on his face. Guess what? 
Our job is, church, fall on your face before God. Begin to cry out, oh God, rescue us from the day that we're in. Rescue our lost loved ones. And it says, the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness, deceivableness, I guess that's the way you say it, of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. When you keep rejecting the truth. See, I believe God has probably sent many good men and women to our Congress, up right around our presidents. There's been many of them showed up and spoke God's words to those people. I can look back. I was thinking of that con guy and how he prayed when when Barack Obama got in. And I thought about that prayer breakfast when he prayed and sought God for our country. And I thought, God, there ain't no way, that was on national news, there ain't no way our world and our ed educated leaders did not hear those words that God sent. Praise God. Let me tell you something. God will use people when he knows there's a hope that they'll repent. But when the repentance has come to an end, when he has sent them strong delusion because they refused the truth, he will send them the lie. He will open and pull back and they'll believe a lie. And destruction is coming. Nothing but judgments left. And these people are living on the dollar bill. And they're living on controlling everything under them. You know, I'm not telling you it's over our head. Only hope is in Jesus. Only hope is in praying to him, not our money. None of us got enough money to change it. None of you got enough money to do anything. But can I tell you, and that's what they'll call you. The Republican Party has called me a thousand times. Give me some money. I don't want your money. I don't, I don't want to give you no money because I'm not sure what you're going to do with it. You know, that's pitiful, isn't it? We're being pleaded with begged that money will change it. And I told this before. My mother had a congressman, somebody called from one of those offices and told her if they get, if they would, if she would send $10, they was going to remove Barack Obama by the lawyers if she would send $10 and put it in there. And I, and I told mom, I said, Mom, you can't believe that. You think your $10 is going to change something? It's not going to change nothing. But they were begging her for money all the time. She was an elder, and they were ringing her phone all the time. Okay, I'll leave that alone too. And for this cause, God should send them strong delusion for they, th that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What a day we're living in. You know damnation is coming upon this country? Do you know damnation's coming upon this people? 
Are we any better than anyone else? Do you think God's word's talking to somebody else? I can tell you it's written to the churches. Paul wrote to the churches. He wants you to hear and he wants you to know and he wants you to believe it and accept it and receive it and know to run from, from this world and run back to him. Fall on your face just like Ezra. Fall on your face before God. Oh, Lord, give us grace. Give us space, Lord, and a little grace, Lord. We don't deserve it. We have, you could have punished us a lot worse for the things, for the killing of babies for all them years. Look at all the little babies that's died. Look at the way they've turned this nation, this Christian nation, into a nothing but evil from one end to the other. We're not looking for God's grace. We're not looking for God's mercy. We're looking for the new program and somebody to be forced to accept us the way we are. And God says, you ain't good enough the way you are. You must come through Jesus. He paid your price. And he loves you. Bobby said it. Jesus loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many years you live. I don't care how wise you get, how many educated big things you've decided in your life. I think of uh, Trump's education, and I think he may not have been educated, but he knew how to make money. You think that's going to get him anywhere with God? It ain't going to do one thing. When God looks down from above, he sees all the buildings the same size. He ain't looking at the height of their building. He ain't looking at the height of you, you and me. Jesus paid for all this. And we're his. Come back up, baby. I was thinking of that old song. You can own all the world and it's money. Bondi, you sing it. You can own all the world that's money. Build castles tall enough to reach the sky above. But if you have not come face to face with Jesus and his amazing grace, you know nothing. I don't care how much you think you know, you know nothing. I don't care how much you've lived in a great country with great things. You're being rocked to sleep by the enemy. Why did the Thessalonians have to pay such a price? Why did any of these others have to pay a price, but we're not willing? Why did Ezra? He could have stayed, just stayed there because God had sent him. God sent him to get the people back in alignment with God. They were coming out of bondage. They were coming out of one trouble and starting a new one. And God sent him Ezra to warn him. You know the story. I think it was Haggai and Zechariah. If you read in those two minor prophets, you will find that they encouraged because when Zerubbabel, the first one, went there to build the temple, they got, they got opposition on building the temple. And it got stopped for a long time. But Zechariah and Haggai was the ones that gave the prophetic word and encouraged them to finish the work. 
And they did. They rose up and finished the work. But after Zechariah, guess what? You've only got one more chapter, one more book, and that's Malachi. And God was telling them in Malachi, you've robbed me. How many knows what I'm saying? You've robbed me. More or less, you offer what you offer is one of your wounded lambs. One of them that is sick. You ain't paying the price. You ain't really wanting me. You want the blessings that I can give you, but you don't want me. That'd be like your children saying, Mom, I just need money. I ain't got time to talk to you. Hurts your feelings, don't it? Listen to me. Moms and dads love you, and they want to help you. But more than anything, they want to help you get on the right road. They want to see you loving and caring about people that you're not going to see forever. I'm glad I spent time with my mom and dad. I'm glad I spent time with some of the elders that I knew. I'm glad for those people. I can remember them. And they were precious people. They were a gift from God. And we'll miss them. Everyone that leaves, we miss them. We don't know how to go forward without them. Our family had a hard time going forward when dad and mom was gone. Enemies fighting us tooth and nail. But Jesus is still what we have to cling to. He's the only answer we got. That's what mom and dad taught us. Wasn't our money. Wasn't our things. We're going to leave it all behind. Know the day that you're living in. Prepare yourself. Just like Ezra tried to prepare Israel to get back to the temple, that God would come back down into the temple again and intercede for them. Get to the place where you can go to God any day. Any day you go to him, you don't have to repent of all the things you haven't done. Go to him every day and you won't have to repent every day. You'll just say, Lord, here I am again. I'm in need again. Help me, Lord. Don't run from him. Fall in love with him. Run to him. He's the answer. I don't know how many times it is left for the Holy Spirit to draw. I don't know how many more days, Bill, it's going to be before God says, that's enough. They won't hear. They won't listen. That's our world that we're living in. That's the day that we're living in. You can read it for yourself. Paul said it was coming. Paul said that day was coming. The words came from God, not Paul. He's warned us, and he's warning us. I can't help what the world calls church. I know what he calls gathering together with God's people. And I want his presence to always be welcome.
Sometimes in the Bible, when you're reading and you listen to what's being said, you'll think to yourself, I don't know what it'll cost me to live for God. I'm afraid to surrender all. I don't know what my the door in front of me is going to hold. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Peter said, he told Jesus, he said, we gave all to follow you. And Jesus told him, you've given, there's no one that's gave father, mother, whatever. No one has given up that won't be rewarded in this life and in the life to come, life everlasting. You can't give up anything that you're not going to receive the reward from God. But he's got to be first. You don't make him first. You don't say to yourself inside, I know I hold on to me. I've got to surrender my all. You know, Daniel said, I'm not eating the king's meat. He separated himself. Three Hebrew children wasn't going to bow before the king's idol, they made their separation. It cost them, but it also brought great glory to God. Your life, you're standing by sometimes thinking what you might lose, but you have no idea what you'll gain. You may gain your whole family. You may gain your friends. You may gain all kinds of things that you don't see. Because if God can change your heart, he'll change their heart. They're waiting to see somebody with the truth and with the light to shine in their own life. I've had some of my best friends argue with me and tell me it's all in my head. They told me all that stuff at work. You know what? I had to ignore them because I knew they didn't know. And I had to love them anyway. You have to represent Christ everywhere you go. It's a day we're in. I thank you for your patience today.